listen, it doesn't matter what our weeks have been like. What matters is the right now and what God is doing in your life right now, right? So I want to encourage every single person here that no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, you're still here for a reason, that God has something for you today. I'm saying that to myself just as much as I'm saying that to everybody in this room. So let's take time to just open our hearts to what God has for us right now in this moment and just set aside everything that we've been through, set aside everything that we've wish had gone differently and just say, God, I'm ready. Are you, can you do that for me? Lord, we love you. And we just come before you today. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here. We thank you for the privilege that it is to come into your house and worship you every Sunday. We thank you that no matter what we've been through, that you are here to meet with us today, that we don't have to worry about what's behind us. All we have to do is look forward to what's ahead. And what's ahead is awesome because you are in it. So God, I thank you for that. And I pray that you will open our hearts to your word today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, All right. You guys ready? Awesome. I am not stalling to open up my computer and have to type in my password that they just made me change. So I hope I remember it. I'm not stalling at all. I'm almost there. Don't worry, guys. Woo! Hey, listen. <laughs> Neither does paper notes, but they just get everywhere, Bruce. All right. So we've been, in this, we've been in a series about the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit. And we have been, uh, this has been an awesome thing for our church. Because we know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We know that he is doing awesome things. We know that he wants to do even more awesome things in our lives. But we have to be open to him, right? We have to be open to being, uh, to being overcome by the Spirit. This is what we've talked about. We've talked about who the Holy Spirit is. We've talked about the things that people might think are weird about the Holy Spirit and realize, oh wait, they're not so weird. We've talked about uh, being overcome and baptized in the Holy Spirit. We've talked about speaking in tongues, which if you weren't here for that, I'm not going to go over that again. Uh, but if that, if that just made you bristle, um, just go back and listen to the message and you probably won't bristle. I promise. Um, and then last, we took a couple weeks off for Christmas, but we also, uh, last week, Mark brought us an awesome word about healing and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives to heal us. Maybe those are emotional healings. Maybe those are physical healings. But he wants to heal us one way or the other. So I really encourage you to go back and listen next, uh, to last week's sermon as well. Um, but the Holy Spirit... Is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He's part, of, he's part of God, okay? And he is the one that's living inside of us as our comforter, as our guide. So I thought it was important to move into today explaining and dissecting what it means to live your life in the Spirit, living in the Spirit. Because it's one thing to say, yeah, we need the Holy Spirit. It's one thing to say the Holy Spirit is inside of you, so let him work. It's one thing to say we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we need to be able to speak in tongues so that we can have that power that the Holy Spirit gives us. That's great. But how, what does it look like to be living life in the Spirit? What does it look like to the outside world? Because there has to be a difference, right? There has to be a difference in our lives before the Holy Spirit and then after the Holy Spirit. So what is that difference? Acts 1.8 says that we'll receive power when his Holy Spirit comes upon us to be, our, to be his witnesses. Which doesn't just mean that we're going to have the words to say at the right time to evangelize. That's part of it, and that's awesome, and that happens a lot. Where I'm talking to people and the Holy Spirit just gives me the words to say, and I say thank you for that power that you've just given me. But it's not just that. It's not just power to evangelize. It also is 
to be witnesses. To be witnesses also means living our lives to be a good witness without even having to use our words to talk about Jesus, okay? Because the Holy Spirit inside of us gives us the power to live our lives to be a good witness. And we want to do that because it doesn't matter how much you preach at somebody. If you're living a crappy witness, nobody's going to want to hear it, right? Nobody's going to say, oh, man, yeah, I want what you have. They're going to say, get away from me, all right? So I don't want that. I don't want people to say, get away from me. I don't want people to look at me and say, man, what is wrong with you? Yeah, you tell me about Jesus, but you're not living like him. So the Holy Spirit gives us the power to live like Jesus lived, to live like Jesus tells us to live. Isn't that awesome? Because guess what? We can't do it on our own. We can't. It's impossible, actually. We can try and try and try and try, but we're just going to stumble and fall. So that's why God's grace is awesome, and that's why he gives us the power through the Holy Spirit. I'm excited today. Are you excited today? All right, cool. So I want to talk today about what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. And we're going to be mostly in Galatians 5. So um, it's a really, really, really uh, awesome chapter of the Bible. There's a lot to it. So we're going to be taking different pieces and dissecting those pieces, but we're going to be mostly in Galatians 5. So if you have your phone, open it up. If you have a paper Bible, turn there. Who has paper Bibles anymore? So do I. So there's so much meat in this chapter, but Paul really takes the time to explain what it looks like to live through the Holy Spirit. He tells us that we also cannot engage in what our flesh desires, because what our flesh wants is going to be contradictory to what the Holy Spirit is doing. What our flesh wants isn't what God wants. Anybody in this room, if you think about it hard enough, could tell you that what I want to do a lot of times doesn't line up to what God's word says. Because what feels good in the moment isn't going to be beneficial in the long term. And in fact, it's going to be damaging, not only to us, but to other people. So Paul says we can't walk in the flesh. We can't give in to what the flesh desires. When we're not walking in the spirit, our witness is not going to be effective. Because if we're walking in the flesh, people are going to see that. And they're going to say, man, you talk about Jesus, but you're not living that life. So how do we do that? So what is the flesh? Let's turn to Galatians 5.13, and I'm going to get there in a second with my paper Bible. There we go. Galatians 5.13, and what it says is, Brothers and sisters, God has called you to freedom. Hear the call, and do not spoil this gift by using your liberty to engage in what your flesh desires. Instead, use it to serve each other as Jesus taught through love. All right, don't use the freedom that you've gotten through Jesus dying on the cross and freeing you from sin to just go and engage in what your flesh wants you to do. That's not why he did it. All right, he didn't do it so you could just feel good all the time, but then have to go back and repent because of all the terrible things you're doing again. That's not why Jesus died on the cross. And Paul says, don't engage in your fleshly desires. Don't use this newfound freedom that you have through Jesus to just go and do the things that you've always done. That's wasting the gift, right? That's wasting the mercy that God's given us. That's wasting the grace that he extends to us. So don't use that freedom to do that. But what does it mean to engage in what our flesh desires? So Galatians 5, 19 through 21 kind of explains that. Actually, it definitely explains that. It says it's clear that our flesh entices us into practicing some of its most heinous acts. 
participating in corrupt sexual relationships, impurity, unbridled lust, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, arguing, jealousy, anger, selfishness, contentiousness, division, envy of others' good fortune, drunkenness, drunken revelry. There's a lot here, guys. And other shameful vices that plague humankind. I told you this clearly before, and I only tell you again so there's no room for confusion. Those who give in to these ways will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what do these things look like today? There's a couple things in there. Like you don't hear a lot anymore today about idolatry like it was back then or witchcraft, right? But they're still prevalent and there's still things that we struggle with today even if we don't realize it. Uh, what's an idol in your life? I could probably ask anybody and you could pick out something that you put above God sometimes, right? That's an idol. So how do we deal with those things? I don't want to harp on the sins that so easily entangle us, but I feel like it's important to make sure that we're aware of these things that, and that they can hinder the spirit from working in our lives if we're not careful, right? So idolatry, witchcraft, uh, sexual, uh, sorry, corrupt sexual relationships, impurity, and unbridled lust. What does that look like? Looking at porn on the internet, right? What does that look like? Less, uh, lust in your mind. If you're thinking about somebody who isn't your partner <laughs> in that way, that's giving into the flesh, right? So how do we fight against that? Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, arguing, jealousy, anger, selfishness. These are all things that we deal with on a daily basis. You scroll through Facebook, you're going to hate somebody <laughs> if, you, if you scroll long enough. Sorry, but it happens. Jealousy, anger, selfishness, you're going to deal with those things as a human. That's just what happens. It's the flesh, right? Um, contentiousness, division, envy of others' good fortune, drunkenness, drunken revelry, and other shameful vices. Listen, there's so many things that we can deal with that are not of the Spirit. How do we walk through those things? Um, the end part of verse 21, though, gives us a dire warning that those who give into these ways will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's hard for someone who's a child of the Most High King to hear, right? We're all children of God. If, we are, if we've accepted Jesus into our lives, if we'd ask him to be, the, to be the leader of our lives, if we're following him, we're children of God. We're co-heirs of his kingdom. We're part of his family. But the Bible says if we give in to these things, then we don't inherit the kingdom, right? So we can mess that up based on giving in to these things that... We shouldn't be giving into. So what do we need to do? It needs to be a sobering reminder of us to not walk in the flesh, but to walk by the Spirit. So when we talk about the Spirit, what does the Spirit of God tell us to do? How do we know when we're walking by the Spirit? Because it's great to know that God knew as humans that we need very clear instructions. So guess what? He lays it out for us. He lays it out for us really well. So if we look a little bit further into Galatians chapter 5, it's uh, starting in verse 22. It says, The Holy Spirit produces a different kind of fruit. Unconditional love, joy, peace, patience, kind-heartedness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You won't find any law opposed to fruit like this. Everybody say fruit. All right. So does it say fruit or does it say fruits? Just one, right? 
So growing up, we're always taught that these are the fruits of the Spirit. In fact, as a kids pastor, I taught a whole like, curriculum. Mary, have you done this too in kids' church? You teach a whole curriculum on the fruits of the Spirit, and you take each one and break them down individually. And we're going to break down these things individually today, but I want to tell you guys that it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. These aren't just character traits that, mm, I'm good at kindness, but I'm not so great at unconditional love. I'm good at being gentle, but I'm not great at self-control. These aren't character traits that we can say, well, I can be good at this one, and this one I'm just not great at, so I try not to bother with that one. The fruit of the Spirit is something that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives as one thing, okay? It doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle in some ways. I am good at being kind to people. I love people. And I, sometimes I do struggle with self-control, but I can't use that as an excuse to say, I'm just not good at it. Sorry, guys. I need to be constantly making sure that I am producing that part of the fruit in my life. Okay? I need to constantly be making sure that my fruit is healthy. If you look at an orange, an orange is one fruit, but you've got like different segments, pieces, right? If somebody comes up to me and gives me an orange peel and is like, here's an orange. I'm like, that's not an orange. Well, yeah, it's part of the orange, so just do it. Yeah, but where's the rest of the orange? <laughs> I'm not good at that. I don't, I don't want to give that to you because it's not great, okay? That, that, I'm not going to want that orange, all right? So just think of that as the fruit in your life, the different pieces that are, that are part of that, they all need to be healthy so that the fruit can be healthy and, and um, the Holy Spirit is producing that through you. Does that make sense? All right. So we can't be walking around with rotten fruit. No one's going to want to partake in that. So let's break down today the different pieces of the fruit of the Spirit so we know what that looks like because it's easy to talk about them, and I can guarantee probably over half the people in this room know what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's just one of those things that you know. If you've been in church for any amount of time, it's one of those things that you know. But what does each thing actually do? What does it look like, and how do we produce that? Or not? how does the Holy Spirit produce that in our lives? So, looking at love. Everybody say, love. What does it mean to unconditionally love someone. That's a sermon by itself. And each of these could be a sermon by themselves. That's why churches do that. <laughs> okay. And we, I'm not saying that we won't uh, ever, but I just want to look at it as one thing today. So it's a sermon by itself to talk about unconditionally loving people. But I want to focus on the term unconditional today. What do we do when we're wronged? What do we do when we feel like justice uh, hasn't been served? What do we do when we've gone through something, when somebody, when you feel like somebody's wronged you, how do we handle that? What do we do when we don't agree with how somebody is living their life? What do we do when, because we're human, we want to put conditions on our love for other people? How can we walk in unconditional love when we don't even know how to like a person sometimes? That's where the Holy Spirit comes in right? Because it's one step at a time. Uh, I'd have to start with making the right choice in the moment. Because when you have the choice to blow up at someone or not to lose your cool, what can you do? And it's not easy every time. But if you want to be showing the fruit of the Spirit in your life, then the answer is to just take each moment at a time and, and make those choices. To say, I don't feel loved right now, but I'm still going to love you unconditionally back. What did God do? What does God do on a daily basis when we say, God, I'm sorry? 
and we lay down everything that we do to him every day. He forgives us, right? So keep your eyes on Jesus. As you keep your eyes on Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to give you the power to do what you need to do to unconditionally love people. So when you want to just blow up at somebody because they made you so mad, maybe you got hit by a cart in the grocery store because going to Hannaford right now is awful because there's so many people there all the time. And I love people, but that's overkill. I go in, I'm like, man, just get out of my way. I need chicken. And then I can't find chicken because it's not there. So then I go find the frozen chicken, and then that's really expensive. So I'm like, never mind, I'll go buy fish, and there's fish, and, and that's too expensive. And then you're already elevated because you can't find what you want, and then somebody runs into you by accident with their cart because they're just trying so hard. What is the choice that you're going to make? You can blow up at them, or you can say, okay, that's okay. I'm just going to keep going, and you're going to keep going. Maybe the Lord's even pressing you to just ask them how their day's going. Stop what you're doing and just ask them how their day is. Maybe he'll give you the opportunity to pray with them right in the store. But if you blow up at them, you've lost that opportunity, right? And just a side note, blowing up at somebody doesn't have to be in person either. All my keyboard warriors know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> because it's so easy to do that. So easy to be like, well, let me tell you something. Let me just kind of lay out how I'm feeling right now and not love you very much. And then people are going to look at that and say, oh, I don't know if I want what you have. Unconditionally loving somebody else also means laying your down, down your life for them when it's called for. First uh, John 3.16 is my life verse. I can't show you my tattoo right now because my sleeves are too tight. Um, but not because of muscles either. <laughs> I wish it was because of muscles. Sean and I are going back to the gym tomorrow, guys. Don't worry. Um, so 1 John 3.16, though, is my life verse. And what it says is, we know what true love looks like because of Jesus. He gave his life for us, and he calls us to give our lives for our brothers and sisters. We know what true love looks like because of Jesus. We know that true love looks like laying down your life for other people. Does that mean that you have to... Every time somebody needs something and it, and it is detrimental to your family because you've been out every night this week and uh, your spouse just needs you home, your kids need you home, that you lay it down and say, sorry, I'm just going to go and take care of this because I need to love everybody. That's not what it means. But it means making sure that we are able to sacrifice when we can sacrifice, right? And sometimes that sacrifice does it does take work, and sometimes it is hard. Actually, sacrifice is never easy, right? So maybe you know somebody who just needs something. Maybe you don't like. Maybe you don't feel like talking to somebody right now, and you get a text from your friend saying, "I just need to talk." Are you just going to be like, oh, "Goodness, sorry, busy," or maybe you say, "All right, I'm ready to talk." It's laying down your life and your interests for what the Holy Spirit wants to do through you. Um, a story happened today, uh, not today, sorry, a story happened this week that makes me think about that. Um, I have a really good friend who goes to church here, um, and uh, this, is, this is a really awesome thing that the Holy Spirit did, but he called me this, this week. Um, I was about ready to leave here. It was like 6 o'clock at night, and he's like, I don't know what to do, but um, I need some help because there's, do you hear that? 
Okay, cool. Um, so he's like, I don't know what to do, but there's somebody that, that needs help, and I don't, I don't know. I, ha I need to go home to my family. I'm not sure what to do. So we were able to work it out. But if he was not right where he was at the exact moment that he was, at, that he was there, we wouldn't have been able to help this person. And he didn't even think a, a second thought about, well, I need to go. I need to go home. He just he had the love in his heart, the unconditional love that the Holy Spirit give, gave to him to say, I need to help this guy no matter what. Okay, and it was really awesome to see, and the Holy Spirit has moved in that situation, and God is doing an awesome thing, and I'm really excited to be a part of it and to see what, what's going to be happening, and hopefully you'll get to hear that story at some point soon. But I just want to encourage you to let's love people well and unconditionally. Um, and I just want to uh, point out, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't saying anything about the sound. I it heard sounds like pouring water back there, so I just wanted to make sure that's not what I'm hearing, Michelle. So you're awesome, and it's not because there's something wrong with the sound, I think. Actually, I hope it's something wrong with the sound and that it's not pouring water, because that'd be real bad. All right. Next thing that we want to talk about, the next piece of the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives is joy. Joy. Being joyful doesn't always mean that you're going to be happy. Okay? Sean, can you just make sure that's not pouring water? It is it's getting louder. <laughs> All right. So being joyful doesn't always mean that you're going to be happy. I want to just talk about for a second, how could I have been happy the night in July 2020 when I found out my dad died, when I found out my dad passed away unexpectedly at work? How could I have been happy in that moment, right? Because I wanted nothing more, Natasha will attest for this, I wanted nothing more than to just curl up and be done. I was done. I couldn't even function. I couldn't even speak. How could I find joy in those impossible circumstances? I had to be able to walk through the next few days with the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. Because it doesn't mean that I was happy. I'm still not happy about it. And the holidays just bring it up again, right? It was a really hard Christmas. I thought the first Christmas is done. I'll be able to get through the second Christmas. That was even harder, okay? It doesn't mean that I wanted to be doing what I was doing, but it did mean I was able to refocus and that I was able to uh, just keep my eyes on Jesus and that I was able to uh, focus on the things that I knew were true, that God still loves me, that God loves my family, that God's providing for us, that my dad is now in heaven because he was a believer and that he's worshiping the king before I get to, that I'll get to see him again someday. So these were things and these are things that I have to focus on all the time because it still sucks. It's still hard. It's nothing that I have ever wanted to go through. And there's still things that we, that we go through that we're like, man, it would be a lot easier if my dad were here. Okay, but I have to choose to have joy in those situations to say, I'm just going to be able to push through and refocus on the truth. And the truth is that God still loves us. The truth is that I'm going to see my dad again. The truth is I don't have to be happy about it, but I can be joyful in the fact that God is here and he's comforted and the Holy Spirit is comforting me. So I want to read to you a verse found in Isaiah chapter 61, verse three. Lots of turning of the pages because of the paper Bibles. All right, Isaiah 61, verse 3. There we go. says, As for those who grieve over Zion, God has sent me to give them a beautiful crown in exchange for ashes, to anoint them with gladness instead of sorrow, to wrap them in victory, joy, and praise instead of depression and sadness. 
People will call them magnificent, like great towering trees, standing for what is right. They stand to the glory of the eternal who planted them. God's going to give us a beautiful crown instead of ashes. He's going to bring joy out of the sorrow that comes through the situation. Okay? No matter what you've been going through, maybe you've lost a family member this week, God's going to bring joy out of that sorrow. Okay? But we need to be able to focus on him and to say, God, I know that this circumstance sucks right now, but I'm going to hold on to the promise of your word that you bring joy out of the sorrow. All right? And he's going to, and the last part of this verse is so beautiful. People will call them magnificent, like great towering trees standing for what is right. They stand to the glory of the eternal who planted them. The seed that's planted in your sorrow is going to bloom and grow, and you're going to be able to stand, and people will look and say, wow, look at you standing through the, the hardest situation you've ever been through, solid and able to just withstand the things that, that are being thrown at you, right? So does that make sense? So how is the Holy Spirit leading you to find joy in your circumstances? How can you live a life filled with joy in any circumstance? Lean on him and on his word, okay? Lean on his word and just say, I don't know what to do right now. All I know is that the next step is to look into the promises of God's word. All right, next one, peace. Everybody say peace. Peace goes hand in hand with joy. When we're faced with chaos and confusion, the Holy Spirit's going to give us peace to walk through those trials, okay? I don't know about you, but it feels like for us, the last year has been chaos and confusion, okay? It's been crazy, and it isn't getting any better. It's not getting any easier. So how do we have peace in that situation? How do we have peace to move forward and to say, God, I need you? When we're letting the Holy Spirit lead us and living by his word, we're going to have what we need to have peace. I don't know if everybody in here has heard the story, but when Natasha was in labor for Dash— you know, we were in the hospital. It was like she wasn't even in labor. The nurse kept coming in. She's like, you don't even look like a woman in labor. Her water broke, and they would have even sent us home probably. Um, but there was a point when labor was, was starting to progress, and there was a point when she's laying in the bed, and all of a sudden this, like, little blue light starts flashing, and all of a sudden every doctor and nurse on the floor runs into the room and pushes me out of the way and just starts, like, rolling Natasha around and putting an oxygen mask on her face, and I'm just sitting there going, I don't know what's happening. And nobody's saying anything to me, and I'm terrified. I'm terrified about what could be happening. So one of the doctors comes over and just starts rubbing my shoulder. He's like, it's okay, buddy. Like, easy for you to say, right? And then we found out, like, when everything got stabilized, that Dash's heart rate had started to drop, so they needed to get it back up. So when that happened again a, a couple hours later, I knew what to expect, and I knew that when they ran into the room again, not to be terrified, not to be scared, to just let them do their job and to step back and say, okay. When we know what to expect, and how do we know what to expect? By reading God's word. When we know what to expect, we're going to have peace in the situation that seems chaotic, and it seems like there's no way out of it. When we know what the future brings, we're not going to know every detail, but we know that God's plans are good, Right? We know that God's plans for us are good. So when we know that and we keep our eyes fixed on that, that's when we're going to have peace in the situations that we don't even want to have peace in. 
Uh, Isaiah 26.3 is an awesome verse as well, and I'm going to read it to you because it's all, actually it might be on the screen. Ha, ah, awesome. It says, you will keep the peace, a perfect peace for all who trust in you, for those who dedicate their hearts and minds to you. Dedicate your heart and your mind to Christ, and he will keep you in perfect peace. Everybody say perfect peace. So we need to trust in him. All right. You good so far? I know there's a lot here, but I really want you guys to just absorb it today because this is important. It's important to know how to live life by the Spirit so that we can be good witnesses. The next thing is patience. And patience is a lot of something that a lot of people struggle with. Some of you have looked at your watch or your phone recently and been like, it's 1110. He's usually done by 1105. What are we going to do? Listen, there's a little bit longer, so just keep with me. And I know you're not actually upset about it. Um, but so patience is, a lot of, is something that a lot of people struggle with. When we're quick to rush into things or short-tempered with somebody because things aren't going the way we want, it's tempting to be ruled by the flesh in those moments. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a confession for you guys, okay? I had a moment this week where I was not patient. And it happened because I, uh, I got an email from Delta. I'm flying out to North Carolina at the beginning of next month um, to go to my sister's house because my, brother my brother-in-law and I like to watch the Super Bowl together. Um, so we're not going to the Super Bowl, but we're watching it at his house. So I booked my flights a couple weeks ago, and I got an email from Delta saying, hey, well, there's some changes to your flights, and you may not be able to make your connecting flights. I'm like, okay. So I, I looked into the details, and I was supposed to fly from – Bangor to Boston to Atlanta to Wilmington because that was the cheapest way to do it and whatever. And so they added a leg. So they added Bangor to LaGuardia. And then I was still supposed to be going from Boston to Atlanta, but there was no connecting flight. And by the time I was going to get to Atlanta, my flight, anyway, it wasn't going to work. And I was like, oh, shoot, okay. So I tried to call them. They're like, your wait time will be four hours. I said, oh, gosh. So then I messaged the website. And the young adults can all attest to this because I was stressing about it at young adults on Wednesday. Um, but I, uh, I messaged the people. This was Tuesday, I think. No, Monday I started. And the message thing said, you have 82-minute wait. I'm like, I'll just keep my computer open, whatever. By the time the 82-minute wait was done, they're like, you still have another 60 minutes. I said, jeez, I have to go home. Okay. So then Tuesday I tried again, same thing. Wednesday I started early in the day. I said, I'm just going to have this thing open and work in the background. And so this guy messages me back and says, how can I help you? And I explain the situation. He goes, so what do you want me to do? I said, I just need new flights. He goes, where? I said, look at where I was going and just help me get there. So I told him exactly where. And then he says, okay, so where do you want to go to? I said, I just told you. And he said, I, I know you just told me. I just need to know for sure. I said, Wilmington, North Carolina. <laughs> and he goes, okay. A couple minutes later. So um, where's your originating flight going from? I said, I just told you. He goes, I know. I just need to know for sure. I said, Bangor, Maine. And it's, real, it's a lot easier to yell at people over the keyboard, right? And I finally said, this isn't helping me. And he goes, and he goes, I know, sir, I'm just trying to help. I said, you're not doing a very good job. That's what I said. Um, so <laughs> I know. It was a rough week, guys. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, transfer you over to the ticket department. I said, thank you. And uh, so he did, but the problem was then it was another 100-minute wait. And I was here till 8 o'clock with the young adults, and there still wasn't anybody. So I don't know if anybody saw this because it was still in the waiting pattern. And I said, I'm going home. You're not very good at this. And I just closed it. 
I wish it ended there. Um, so the next day I got back on and then the guy came on and he's like, how can I help you? And I explained the situation. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, because you have a basic economy ticket, you, we can't make any changes to it. And I said, yes, you can. And this is why. And I explained the whole thing again. He goes, oh, yes, sir. I see that now. Let me get back to you in just a second. I said, thank you. And so after that, he was able to tell me, okay, yeah, we switched everything around, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I could have just left it there, and I should have. And I, but at the end, I said, thank you. You've been very helpful, but I want to tell you, you need to get a new job because the people you're working for are awful, and you're really good at your job. And he goes, thank you. Have a good day. Um, <sighs> so the good news is that they don't know me, <laughs> Okay. They don't know I'm Pastor Zach from Waterville. <laughs> I'm being transparent with all of you, okay? This is obviously something that God checked my heart very quickly after that and said, was that patience? I said, sure was. And he's like, no, it wasn't. So I had to realize, okay, this is something that I need to work on in my life, and I'm going to do much better, I promise. And it would have been much easier on the phone, but how easy is it to just snap at somebody over over uh, Facebook, right? I had to snap at somebody on the internet. So Proverbs 14.29, getting back into scripture for a second. Uh, you guys don't hold that against me, I hope. Uh, I definitely repented for that, I promise. Um, Proverbs 14.29, whoever is patient and slow to anger shows great understanding, but whoever has a quick temper magnifies his foolishness. And that was the scripture that came to my mind in that situation. Like, God, are you calling me a fool? He's like, well, I'm not going to say it out loud, but being patient and not quick-tempered will show the fruit in your life, right? It takes choices every step of the way to be able to have patience and maturity. Look at how patient a three-year-old is compared to an adult, right? You know that what you ask for is coming, but with maturity you start to understand that it's going to take time. Every time Sebastian asks for something, he asks at least 20 more times. Dash two, actually. He's actually less patient than Sebastian. But uh, they ask for it over and over and over and over again until they get it. But as adults, we know, okay, it's going to be coming. You can't act like that in a restaurant. So as we dig into the word and as we keep our eyes on Jesus and as we grow our relationship with him, we know that patience will grow too, right? It just comes with maturity. So being patient. All right, you guys good? Are you still with me? Awesome. Next thing, kindness. Everybody say kindness. This one's not rocket science, okay? I think everyone in this room should know how to be kind. Maybe not everybody does it, but everybody knows how to be kind. The issue comes with our cutting words and, well, I'm just blunt. I don't know what to tell you. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Have you ever said that yourself? Um, so we need to make sure that we are being kind in every situation. I know people who I just like, sometimes I just want to see them get angry. Like Lisa Straponiak. Like, I've never seen you angry in my entire life. You're just one of the kindest people. Okay. <laughs> You're one of the kindest people I've ever met. Liz Davis is the same way. I've just like, the kindness just oozes out of you guys. It's crazy. And anybody who's ever talked to you in your entire life, Deb Hamill, same way. I'm not, I'm not calling these people out to make the rest of you feel bad, but look at these ladies, okay? And, but the kindness is just so apparent, and that fruit, that part of the fruit is so apparent in your lives that you're letting the Holy Spirit work in you, and it's so awesome to see. So keep, go, keep going, and the rest of us who maybe struggle with that, uh, just
just realize kindness is, is a choice. You have to choose to be kind. Being kind takes work, but it's crucial for our testimony and the witness of the kingdom of God. Because if we're not kind to people, then we're a really bad witness. When you're not kind to people, your fruit's going to be rotten. I can't say it any other way. All right, next one, goodness. Everybody say goodness. Goodness is an easy one to understand, but it's much less easy to do. Because I can't give you specific scripture. I'm not, I'm not going to go through the specific scriptures on goodness, but the closest way the Greek word describes it is virtue or uprightness. It's essentially your moral character, okay? And how would you rate your own virtue? And I'll tell you, some days I'm a two. Other days I'm like, yeah, I feel pretty good. I'm a six, seven, eight. But walking uprightly and adhering to what the Bible teaches is the best way to ensure that we're letting this part of the fruit show. Virtue, uprightness, how you act in, in certain situations, how you treat others, it's all encompassed in goodness, right? So I can tell you just listening to what the Bible teaches, doing what Jesus tells us to do is goodness. Are we always going to be good? Are we going to be perfect? No, but again, it takes work and it takes dedication and it takes saying, I'm going to wake up today doing my best to, to have goodness, to show that in my life. Next thing, faithfulness. Everybody say faithfulness. So how faithful are we to Jesus? And what does faithfulness even mean? It's trust in God and his plan for your life, first of all. In some ways, this can be the hardest part of living a fruit-bearing life because we only want to trust our own ways a lot of the time. And maybe we trust God until it gets to the point we hit this wall where our uh, plans don't really line up with what God wants. So how do we trust him through that, and what do we do? Do we just go our own way anyway and say, All right, God, you must have uh, made a mistake here, so I'm just going to go off track. Or do we say, I'm going to be faithful to you in this time? Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your, well, I think it's on here. Proverbs 3, 5, I hope. Yeah. Place your trust in the eternal. Rely on him completely. Never depend on your own ideas and inventions. Okay? Place your trust in God. Rely on him completely. That is so hard to do. It's so hard to lean in and just say, God, just whatever you're going to do. To surrender and say, God, I trust you. How can we trust someone that we're not intimately connected with, though? So you need to be intimately connected with Jesus. You need to be in your word. You need to be praying. You need to be worshiping. You need to be coming to church, or at least watching church online, but coming to church, right? Hi, everybody online. I love you all. Listen, we need to be intimately connected with Jesus if we're going to be trusting him. And intimately connected with his Holy Spirit living inside of us will give us what we need to trust him. So in the times when we want to go our own way because it's more fun or looks better, bring it to the Lord. Because you can't go wrong by allowing him to speak into your heart. You can't go wrong by saying, God, I, I want to trust you and I think this is the way I should go. But I need, to, I need you to really make that clear to me. He's not going to be like, why did you do that? I gave you the tools that you need. He'll say, okay. Okay, trust me, because faithfulness means trusting, but faithfulness also means staying true to Jesus, staying true to his word, staying true and following him. So you want to stay faithful to him, and you're not going to stay faithful to him if we're not trusting him. All right, so trust in him and what he says. How do you know what he says? Read the word. It's not enough to just come here on Sunday morning. It isn't. You can be like, but, you know, Sunday morning is fine. 
okay, that's that's great, but you need to be in it every day. Otherwise, you're not going to want to trust him. All right, gentleness. Everybody say gentleness. Does anybody here love to be sarcastic? Okay. Does anybody here use sarcasm at the exact wrong time? I do too. Uh, we don't have to walk on eggshells around people, but having a gentle spirit brings great witness to those watching from the outside and also discernment on when to use things like sarcasm. Donna McAvoy. <laughs> she just raised her hand very, uh, very abruptly. That's why I said that. All right. So, or maybe you see somebody uh, stumbling or sinning or living a life that you know that they're headed down a destructive path. What's going to be a better witness saying, hey, idiot, stop that. Or, hey, what's going on? How can I help you? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? What can I do to point you back to Jesus and being gentle in that situation? Sometimes people do need a swift kick in the pants, but a lot of the time, if you don't know them very well, or if you don't know what, like, if, if they're, what they're doing is completely out of character, because that's happened before, right? Where you know somebody who, what they're doing is just completely out of their own character. How can you handle that situation gently, right? Saying, what can I do to help you? Having that gentle spirit is going to open you up to being able to be used by the Holy Spirit in someone's life way more than a harsh tongue will, all right? And the excuse of, I'm just, I just say it like it is, man. I don't know what to tell you. That's good once in a while. <laughs> but most of the time, it's, it's caring enough for the person to be able to figure out what's going on first. All right. Last one. You guys ready? Self-control. I feel like self-control really encompasses everything we've already talked about today. Um, because do you feel like ripping somebody apart? You got to control that. Do you feel like binging three seasons of The Office in one weekend? You should probably control that. Do you feel like eating until you're sick or looking at that porn website one more time or having that one last beer because I just deserve one last beer? You've got to learn how to control that, right? Self-control keeps us out of situations that are, not, that are just are going to damage us and that could damage our relationship with the Lord or other people and in turn damage our testimony. Okay? Self-control takes... that like. Everything here takes work, but self-control really does. Because self-control is like knowing what is the right thing to do or the right thing not to do and then taking care of it. Okay? It takes conscious effort to make sure that we're controlling our thoughts, our actions, and our words and everything. I didn't have any self-control when I was talking to the guy on the Delta website. And I apologize uh, to all of you. I didn't really apologize to him. But I hope someday I get the opportunity to meet some guys like, I just got ripped apart. At work? Oh, yeah, that was probably me. So, now what? Now what? Since, since we've established that we essentially have to be perfect in order to show the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what do we do? How do we do it? First off, no one's going to be perfect. You have to give yourself some grace, just like God gives you grace, right? You have to keep going when your fruit's not looking that great. You have to recognize when your fruit's not looking that great. And say, okay... I recognize this about myself, and I recognize that I need to be doing better here so that I can be a good witness. You need to be doing a fruit check every day. Okay? Can you do that? So let's go back to Galatians 5 really quickly. And it's the very end of the chapter. We're almost there. All right. 
Galatians chapter 5, verses 25 through 26. It says, Now since we have chosen to walk with the Spirit, chosen to walk with the Spirit, let's keep each uh, step in perfect sync with God's Spirit. This will happen when we set aside our self-interests and work together to create true community instead of a culture consumed by provocation, pride, and envy. Setting aside our self-interests, what we want, walking in the flesh, and saying, you know what? I am going to create true community instead of a culture consumed by provocation, pride, and envy. All right, these verses also echo uh, a couple other ones. Matthew 16, which I'm going to go there too. I don't have these on the screen, and I probably should have. But Matthew 16, 24 through 26. If you want to turn with me there, you can. Um, but it says here in a second, uh, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself the things you think you want. You must pick up your cross and follow me. The person who wants to save his life must lose it, and he and she who loses her life for me will find it. Look, does it take that makes sense to truly become successful, but then to hand over your very soul? What is your soul really worth? So we need to lay down our lives. We need to pick up our cross and follow him, right? And then John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26 says something really similar. I'll get there. All right, John 12, 24 through 26 says something awesome. Um, I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat is planted in the ground and dies, it remains a solitary seed. But when it is planted, it produces in death a great harvest. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who despises it in this world will have life forevermore. Anyone who serves me will follow my path. Anyone who serves me will want to be where I am, and he will be honored by the Father. It takes picking up our cross. It takes dying daily. Unless that piece of wheat dies, it can't grow up into a great harvest, right? So we have to lay aside everything that we want, and we have to pick up our cross to lay down ourselves and follow him. Okay? I can't stress the importance of this enough. Because if we're going to claim to be spirit-filled believers, operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, our fruit is definitely going to prove us right or wrong. When we tell people, yeah, I love Jesus. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm doing what I know the Spirit wants to do. I'm doing what I know the Spirit's calling me to do. Then your fruit is going to tell me if you're lying or not. We can't go around being people of God who are not walking in the Spirit anymore because we don't have much time, guys. So let's do what we can to make sure we're living our lives as true witnesses for Jesus because we can't afford not to do that anymore. I mean, we can, but... I don't want to be a, a person who has no effect on the kingdom whatsoever. That's not what I'm here for. That's not what you're here for. So check your fruit every day, okay, just like I'm going to be doing. You got it? All right. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and I'm going to ask Sean to come up here and close us in prayer, which I did not tell him he was going to be doing. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Zach, for that. Um, something that came to my mind is um, – if you're thirsty, watching people drink water isn't going to help you with that, right? If you're hungry, watching somebody eat is going to make it worse. So as we go through this, if we think back about 2020, how hard it was. 2021, it was even harder, right? Maybe we should do something different to have a different result. 
right? So if, if that resonates with you, then it resonates with you. But just something that came to my mind, we have to partake in what's put in front of us. We can't watch other people and then be jealous that we don't have what they have, right? So I, I appreciate Pastor Zach challenging us with this word, and I definitely believe it's from the Holy Spirit. So let's apply it to our lives as we go through the week, okay? Father, we love you. We thank you for this time in your presence today. We thank you that, that you're teaching us more about who you are. And so our hearts are open to receive that. Lord, and we, we won't just sit in this room and listen to words and then go back to life as it was, God. We choose to apply what you're communicating to us into our lives, Lord. We're challenging ourselves to press into you more, even when the world wants us to do our own thing. And we thank you that you've never forsaken us and you never will, Lord. So we praise you and we thank you for this time to gather together and grow stronger in you. We ask for traveling mercies as everyone goes home and bring us safely back next week altogether. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today.